0: Would you go with me to John chapter 12, John's Gospel and chapter 12? John chapter 12, and I want you to join me in verse 20, and I will read from verse 20 through verse 26. I hope you brought your copy of God's Word with you today. If you did not, there's a Bible there between the hymnals you can use, John's Gospel, it's the fourth book in the New Testament. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. Follow along as I read. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, there's something interesting happening here in the storyline as we move to verse twenty this morning. If you've not been with us for this series of studies in John's Gospel or this series in in chapter twelve, we saw last time that. The people from all over the place were coming and traveling to Jerusalem. They were coming there for the Passover feast. And we saw last time the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and the great crowds of people who surrounded him. And what were they doing? They were Remember, they were shouting out to him, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel, they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. Great crowds of people thronging to Jesus. And we said last time, it would be it would it would be a victorious thing if they were thronging to him and all of them for the right reason. But we realized last time it was likely less a triumphal entry and more a tragic entry. Because of those who, who thronged to him, they didn't really understand who he was. They thought he would be the reigning king. They thought he was going to come and, and take over and save them from Roman oppression. Sadly, many saw him. They saw him as the long-awaited Messiah, but their understanding of the Messiah was not a biblical understanding of the Messiah, was it? They thought that he'd come to be their king. Little did they realize he'd come to be the sacrifice for sin. He'd come to be the sacrifice for sin. He'd, he hadn't come to take over and rule and reign on a throne. He came to die on a cross. And as he entered Jerusalem that day, he was coming to die. We saw too, there were many who, who wanted to be around Christ because of his miracles. They were thronging. They had heard about the miracles. They'd heard about Lazarus. Let's go see that man who, who was raised from the dead. Incredible. Four days in the tomb. Let's go see that man. Let's go see the one who raised him. People thronging to see Jesus because of the miracles. It's kind of sad, isn't it? They weren't there for the teaching. They weren't like Mary who sat at his feet and just listened to Jesus teach. They wanted to see some excitement. They wanted to see the miracles. But in verse 20, go look at verse 20 again. In verse 20, we're introduced to some Greeks who had come to worship at the Passover feast. Now, they may or may not have been converts to Judaism known as Jewish proselytes. May or may not have been. We we don't know. We're not told. But either way, here they are in Jerusalem they were God-fearing Gentiles who worshipped the God of Israel along with the Jews. And here they are, seen in verse 20, and sorry, actually in verse 21, I want you to look at verse 21, asking to meet with Jesus. Look at what they say. So, so they, they, they come to Philip. I don't know why they came to Philip. Um, some commentators say, well, you know, his, his name is Greek. Well, there were a lot of people named Philip and a lot, of, a lot of Jews with Greek names. But they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. That might be part of the reason. Why they came to him and asked him, "Sir, we wish to see Jesus now, why they came to Philip isn't known, but it's interesting that while they were while there were so many people in Jerusalem there for the Passover feast, while there were so many Jews clamoring to see more of Jesus' miracles, more of more of the excitement that surrounded Jesus' miracles, here are these Gentiles. These aren't Jews, these are Gentiles, and they want to meet with Jesus. That's what it means when it says we want to see Jesus. They want to meet with him. I mean, many could see him, but they wanted to meet with him, and probably there were many people who wanted to meet with Jesus also. Also interesting is that we don't have any indication here from John that Jesus met with these men. It doesn't tell us that he actually met with them. It's almost like they're forgotten. (laughs) It's almost like they come and they're told that they want to see Jesus, and then... Jesus starts speaking, and it doesn't appear that he's actually speaking to these Greek men. Also interesting is that we don't have here, it doesn't say that there are Jews thronging to see Jesus. Interesting that these Gentiles come. Now, no doubt that there were likely some, some Jews who wanted to see Jesus. No doubt there were likely some Jews who really were beginning to understand who Jesus was and wanted to see him. But John chooses to point to the Gentiles. Now that's interesting because why did Jesus come to die? Did he come to die only for the Jews? We know from the Bible that he came for all people, right? He came to die for the world, for, 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 for people all over the world. He came to die, right? It wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't for the Jews only. And while his own people were seeking to kill him, here are some Gentiles who want to meet with him. They don't want to kill him. They want to meet with him. They want to know who he is. They want to meet with him. Now, we noted last time how in verse 19, the Pharisees were just utterly beside themselves, right? They were just totally frustrated, totally flabbergasted, and beside themselves saying in verse 19, look, the world has gone after him. And last time I said, you know, it's interesting, it's almost prophetic. They didn't really mean the world, they were just looking around Jerusalem and look at all these people coming from all over the place and they seemed to be thronging to Christ. They weren't really thinking about the whole world, but prophetically that would be true. That people from all over the world would come to Christ and still are coming to Christ, yes? And we praise God for that and we send missionaries for that and we go to tell the whole world about Jesus Christ and I hope... You're as burdened for your neighbors as you are for the missionaries who go around the world to tell the gospel. I hope you go home and tell your neighbors about Christ because that's what we're to be about as followers of Christ, right? It's not just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles only. It's not just for a certain race. It's not just for a certain country. You know, Christianity is not an American religion. You realize that? And sometimes we tend to think that it is, but it's not an American religion. For Oh, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die so that the whole world so that the whole world can have an opportunity to know Jesus Christ as their lord and savior how prophetic when they complained in verse 19 oh look the whole world's coming to coming to hit what are we going to do about this we can't seem to do anything nothing we're doing is working we can't seem to put our hands on him and they couldn't and now jesus is forcing their hand and we know he came to jerusalem To force their hand. It would be during this week of Passover when they did not want to crucify. They didn't want to kill him then. They wanted to wait for the Passover to be over. They would want to do it later so there wouldn't be an uprising, an uproar. But yet Jesus says, no, the Father's timing is, is the timetable I'm on. Not yours. It's on the Father's timetable. So he comes to Jerusalem. Little did. These Pharisees understand that this Jesus they sought to kill Would be the one who would save from their sin all who believe in him, whether Jew or Gentile, and from all over the world. Now, we don't know why these Greeks wanted to meet with Jesus. It could have been they wanted to see this one everyone was talking about. It could be they wanted to see this one everyone was saying, This is the King, this is the Messiah, he's the King of the Jews. We aren't told here, but we do learn this in verse 22. Look at verse 22. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And note how Jesus responds to this inquiry. Verse 23, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now that's interesting. Jesus says, The hour has come. It almost seems like the Greeks have been forgotten here. Right, The ones who came inquiring of Jesus. It almost seems like the Greeks have been ignored here. They may have come along with Philip and Andrew. They may actually be there. But we're not told that. We, we don't know that. What we are shown, and what is very clear here, is something has changed. And what's changed is that Jesus is no longer talking about his hour not being here yet. You know, several times we've heard Jesus say, No, no, my hour has not yet come. Something has changed. His death was near. And both Jew and Gentile would benefit from Jesus' death as they put their faith in him. You realize that? Jesus' death was near. His hour had come. And signaled signaled by these Gentiles coming, Jesus realizes the hour is now. Now we've heard Jesus several times mention the hour, the hour as he does here. Back in John chapters 2, John chapter 7, John chapter 8, we hear Jesus say his hour had not yet come. He says it several times. My hour has not yet come. But now he says, look at it. What does he say? He says, the hour has come. The hour has come. Now we often think of this hour of which Jesus speaks at this at the, at the time, of, we think about it as as the time of his death, right? We think, well, the hour that Jesus talks about is the time of his death. And we often think of it in terms of his death. And it includes that. But but you need to understand this. The hour is more than just the time of Jesus' death. The hour of which he speaks is includes far more than that. And praise God that it does. Because it includes not not simply his death, but also his burial and his resurrection and his ascension. That's... That's when Jesus is glorified. So it's not just the hour of His death. In fact, the hour Jesus speaks of is not an hour in time like we think of an hour in time. I'll be there in an hour. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a period of time. And we understand this more fully when we hear Jesus say that, right here, that the hour has come. It's here, it's now, it's time he says it's time, and the idea is it's time, and he says it, it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. But what does Jesus mean that he would be glorified? If he's talking about his hour, including his death, how could that possibly be? What does he mean that, that he would be glorified? Remember back in verse 16 when we saw where it said of the disciples, they in verse 16, they, they did not understand these things at first. All these things going on, in Jerusalem as Jesus entered. But when Jesus was glorified, they didn't understand why he sent them for a a young donkey to ride into Jerusalem. It didn't make sense to them. They just obeyed. They just did it. Okay, we'll go get it. But later, but later, after Jesus was glorified, verse 16 says, Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Now that's speaking of that whole period of time that included Jesus' death, Jesus' burial, His resurrection, and including, I think, His ascension. This is the hour. This is the period of time of which Jesus speaks. It's not not 60 minutes. It's It's a period of time. And to help them understand, and to help us understand. Praise God, this is in His Word for us, to help us understand, to help those who are hearing them then Him then understand and help us understand now that time more fully, Jesus uses an illustration, something from agriculture. Look at verse 24. And I think we all understand this. We're all familiar with this. I mean, how many of you have gardens, right? You have gardens? How many plant flowers, right? Verse 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, falls into the earth and dies it remains alone but if it dies it bears much fruit so to help them understand what's about to happen to him he points to this fundamental truth that a grain of wheat that is that is buried in the ground isn't wasted right I mean a farmer goes out with a I mean these days, with a monstrous tractor worth more than I can imagine. I can't even imagine how much of these monstrous tractors with multiple sets of wheels, right? And they go out and... i just like to have the money for one of those tires. Anyway, they go out and they plant millions of wheat seeds, right? And they stick these seeds, they stick these seeds into the ground. Bam, bam, bam. This machinery. And they've invested... Great sums of money in the machinery, so that they can stick a little tiny, measly seed. That if you take in the palm of your hand and blow, it's gone. Stuff it in the ground, so that in a few weeks, in a few short months, there's what? There's a harvest, right? There's a crop, and on every stalk of wheat, there's more kernels of wheat, and those those kernels of wheat turn into profit for the farmer who is blessed with rain, right? And not too much of it and not too little of it, right? Sunshine. We understand that. But Jesus says, look, the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified has come. The hour has come and the Son of Man will be glorified. And here's what I mean. Here's how you'll understand this. To understand what Jesus means, think about the kernel of wheat and how it has to be put in the ground. What happens to that kernel of wheat when it's put in the ground? It begins to decay, doesn't it? It begins to break down in the soil, but before it's, before it's totally wasted, it begins to spring to life and create new life, doesn't it? And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Here's the other side of this. If the farmer never takes the kernel of wheat and never places it in the ground, what has he done? He has, wasted. he has wasted that kernel of wheat, hasn't he? Because if that kernel of wheat is not placed in the ground, it cannot produce life. Now what does Jesus mean by all of this? Well, Jesus is talking about his own life and body. His body is the kernel of wheat, and his death would bring a great harvest. Listen, there's no harvest without the death of Christ. There's no salvation without the sacrifice. His death had to be. His death had to be. Otherwise, a harvest of souls would never be. Jesus' sacrificial death would mean eternal life for all who believe in Him, praise God. Right? Jesus' death, we we come... We come to Christmas and we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate what? We celebrate the life of Jesus, the birth and the life of Jesus. And then we go a few more months and we celebrate what? In in Easter time, we celebrate, first of all, we think of his death, right? And then we celebrate his resurrection. But guess what? Without his death, there's no resurrection. Without his death, there's no sacrifice. Unless He is sacrificed for our sins, we're still condemned in our sins. Jesus' sacrificial death would mean eternal life for all who believe in Him. As the people gathered around Him and listened to Him speak, they needed to know this. It's possible that you're hearing this for the first time today. It's, it's possible that for the first time today this, is, this truth is beginning to dawn on you and to beginning to... to Make the, the gears in your mind to turn, right? I hope that you hear Jesus speaking today from His Word. I hope you hear Him Telling you that unless, unless he is sacrificed for your sins, there's no, there's no forgiveness for sins. And I hope you realize that he is calling to you to repent of your sin and to turn to him in faith today and believe in him and him alone for your salvation, not in the good things that you have done, but to believe in Jesus Christ and his finished sacrifice for you. See, the people gathered around him needed to hear that. The people gathered around Today, you need to hear this. Jesus didn't come to reign as a king on that day. He hadn't come to be glorified by ruling on the earth. He would be glorified, but it would be by his death, his burial, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus would be glorified, but not in the way those people who sought him then thought. Jesus came to be a sacrifice. Do you realize that? Are you thankful for that? Are you grateful to God that Jesus sent his one and only son to be the sacrifice for your sins? In that sacrifice, there would be great fruit. I'm looking at some of the fruit this morning. Beloved, right? Beloved in Christ. I'm looking at some of the fruit of of Christ's sacrifice. You are followers, some of you are followers of Christ. I hope, I trust, I pray that you're all followers of Christ. But I can't take that for granted. There's no guarantee of that this morning. You may not be a follower of Christ. And you need to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus Christ so that you might be a part of that wonderful fruit of which Jesus speaks. Jesus came to be a sacrifice. But in that sacrifice, there would be great fruit, great reward. And followers of Christ rejoice in this truth today. Amen? I hope, I hope you rejoice in that truth, I hope you're part of that fruit, that produce of the sacrifice of Christ, that product, that, that wonderful fruit, because you have followed Christ, you've turned to him and believed in him. Now, not only is this true of Jesus, that Jesus gives himself and is the sacrifice for our sins, but But there's something else here that's interesting. Not only is this true of Jesus, but it's true of all who wish to follow Christ. Because Jesus continues. Look at verse 25. He changes direction slightly here. He says, whoever, whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He's not talking about himself anymore. I don't think he's talking about others now. I think he's talking about his followers, those who would follow him. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's a paradox, isn't it? Sounds strange. Wait a minute, you you love your life and lose it? Well, I mean, the cereal commercial says to take care of myself, right? Love yourself. The the, the other commercials all tell me to love myself. And if I love myself, I'll be better off. But the Bible says if I love my life, I lose it? Seems strange, doesn't it? But whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's a paradox. Just like the seed will remain fruitless unless it dies, unless it's planted in the ground, Jesus says in verse 25, of you, follower of Christ... Jesus says of you, unbeliever, if you're a lover of yourself, you will waste your life. Do you understand that? If you're a lover of self, you will waste your life. Jesus says in verse 25 of you who would, who would follow him, you too, if you wish to have eternal life, must not be a lover of your own life. You must not be totally wrapped up in your own concerns so that you totally forget about serving the Lord and serving others for God's glory. We know this is an important truth. This is actually a central truth to what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we know this is an important truth, for one thing, because it's, it's found elsewhere several times, actually in the other three gospels also. Listen to Matthew ten thirty nine. This will sound familiar to you. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, Jesus says. Matthew ten thirty nine. Also, Mark chapter eight and verse thirty six for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And then in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, was Jesus advocating living carelessly, wasting your life, so that you lose your life? Absolutely not. Was he suggesting that you that you have such a hatred for your own family that you mistreat them and cruelly treat them? Absolutely not. We know that's not the teaching of Scripture, don't we? But what he taught in those three passages and what he teaches here in John's Gospel is that anyone, anyone who is only about living for self, caring only for one's own cares, only wastes his own life. You spend your life wrapped up in yourself, and you will be full of self and live an empty life. You realize that? The one who lives for self will be full of self, but will be so empty in this life. See, that kind of person will not be found following Christ. If you are filled with self, you cannot follow Christ. If you're only concerned about your own interests, you cannot follow Christ. But the one who would follow Christ must be one who lives in such a way as to think about his own needs as less important than the needs of others. To think about what he perceives as his own needs as less important than following Christ and being obedient to God's word. You see by living for the good of others there is great blessing and great gain and true life in Christ for living for God's glory in living for in living for the Lord Jesus Christ and in obedience to his word there is great gain and great glory that will be yours That's also the teaching we hear from Paul in Colossians 3:3 3, 3, when he says for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now if you hear that verse and you think that sounds that doesn't sound good, that sounds kind of strange, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Well if you know God's word and you know what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you on the cross, you will be thankful for that passage. Because there's no better place for you than to be than to have died to self and to be living for, for Christ's sake to be hidden in Christ so that people, when they see you, they don't see you, they see Christ. That's the idea. See, in other words, the one who desires to follow Christ must be willing to live their whole life for Christ in obedience to His Word. The one who wishes to follow Christ must be wholeheartedly devoted to following Jesus Christ and being obedient to Him. even give their life you realize that if today armed men came through those doors and asked for anyone who was willing to die for Christ to come to the front we'd find out who's willing to die for Christ It may not be required of you to die for for Christ, but you realize that that is the depth of commitment that Jesus asks of you. Are you willing to give your life for Christ so that others, listen, it's not a wasted life if you die for Christ. It's a wasted life if you die for self. But if you die for Christ, you haven't wasted your life. I think of the blood of the martyrs through the centuries. Think of the blood of those even today who are living for Christ in some difficult places of the world to live for Christ. It's Nowhere is it easier than in the United States of America to be a Christian. You realize that? And sometimes we look around the world and we see those who are persecuted and we see Christianity thriving and growing. Why? Because the true believers are living for Christ, and sometimes dying for Christ. For you have died, says Paul, Colossians three. For you have died. Is that your attitude? Are you willing to die for Christ? Are you willing to? Better yet, are you willing to live for Christ? See, because you you may not be called upon to die for Christ. But you are, I can guarantee it, because you're breathing. If you're a follower of Christ, because you're breathing, you're being called on to live for Christ. And as long as God gives you breath, He is giving you breath so you can live for His glory, so you can make His name known in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your classroom, where you shop, where you do business. So as we look at this passage, in one respect, Jesus was talking about how eternal life comes to people. How does eternal life come to people? Well, it's only through the sacrifice of the Son of Man. And in another respect, he was talking of how to gain the most from life now. And the the way we gain the most from life now is to live the life that God gave us for God's glory. We live it for Christ. And we live it for the good of others. The Bible tells us to consider the needs of others as more significant than our own, yes? And we hear it again and again in God's Word, and we hear it again today right here. You see, it's only by living sacrificially rather than selfishly that we live life to the fullest, that we live life as God intended it. Living self-forgetful, Living self-forgetfully, right? Living sacrificially instead of selfishly. Think about it. The one respect, Jesus says, the only way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ. And the other way is the only way to true life, this side of heaven, is to live sacrificially for Christ. And in both cases, it means death. In the first case, Jesus died for your sins. In the second case, you die to self. You die to serve Christ. You die to self and you live to serve Christ. That's true life. And how is it Jesus' followers truly live selfless lives? He shows us how this is worked out in the life of a believer when he says in verse 26, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. You want to know what it means to live for Christ, to die to self and live for Christ? It means to follow Christ. It means you, have to, you actually have to read your Bible. That's a good thing. Read your Bible. Know what God's Word says. Before you open the Word each day, pray and ask God to speak to your heart and show you His truth and help you understand it and apply it to your own life. And God will be good to show you God's Word promises wisdom to the one who seeks it, right? Wisdom from His Word. You must follow Christ if you're going to live with self-forgetfulness because if you're not living for Christ, you won't be able to forget yourself. You see, those who would live selflessly like Christ must submit to Christ. Remember Jesus when He prayed He prayed to the Heavenly Father and said, Not my will, but thine be done. If it's possible, spare me this death, but not my will, but yours, Father. See, Jesus gives us the the greatest example of yieldedness, doesn't he? He yielded up his life for our sin. And he calls us, to yield up our lives to be lived for Christ, for God's glory. So those who would live a selfless life like Christ, who was like we we are, he was thinking about himself, he said, I see the agony and I know the pain I'm going to go through, and if I could be spared this. Kind of encouraging to realize Jesus thought that. But, He goes further and he goes where we need to follow. He says, but not my will, yours be done. Jesus leads the way to suffering and death and we must willingly follow. Willingly give up self for the sake of obedience to Christ. That is not easy. I'm not suggesting it is. But God has given you his word. If you're God's child, he's given you his spirit. And so many times we need this reminder. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. He, he serves in us to serve the Word in us, to serve up the, 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 the food of the Word that we need to feed on. And so we must go to God's Word and learn His truths and be fed by them and let the Holy Spirit work in us and show us His truth and help us to see how to live in obedience to His truth. We cannot do it in and of our own strength. We cannot do it by more discipline, more self-discipline. We need to do it by, by more discipline of God's Word and Spirit as we yield to Him. And then, as Jesus says also in verse 26, and where I am, there will my servant be also. How sweet it is. Think about it. Where I am, that's where the one who serves me will be. Where's that? Where's Jesus going to go? It wouldn't be long, and Jesus would ascend into heaven. You think of your eternal home very often. Some of us, every time we go see the doctor, right? We, if we see the doctor more and more frequently, we begin to think of heaven. It's like, oh, please, Lord, <laughs> any day. Sometimes we see the tr- the trials and the turmoil and the difficulties in this world in which we live, and we say, Lord, it would be okay if you returned soon, right? And we think of our eternal home. Jesus says, where I am, there will my servant be also. There is blessing this side of heaven for those who give up self to serve Christ. But guess what? There's eternal blessing in heaven with Christ and God the Father. There's eternal blessing that's, That's untold. You can't number the blessings. You can't even fathom the blessings. You and I could sit here and talk all day about what the blessings of heaven will be, and we we won't even scratch the surface. See, the one who follows Christ, the one who lives by sacrificial example, following the sacrificial example of Christ, has an eternal reward, a heavenly home, an eternal home. And note why that is. Jesus says in verse 26 at the end, If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Serve Christ. Serve with your life. You may be called to serve by dying for Christ. But serve with your life. As long as you have breath. Serve with your life. There's an eternal home in heaven and God honors the one who follows the Son. God honors the one who obeys His word. Jesus wanted those on that day and He wants you on this day to understand, to know that to follow Christ will require self-sacrifice, will require that you forget yourself and think of what God calls you to do think of what God expects of you as his child and think of the needs of others before your own you see following Christ in fact will require daily sacrifice it will take daily discipline and that's why we need the daily discipline of the word don't we and prayer It will take daily discipline, just as we hear Jesus say in Luke 9.23 when he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. But death leads to life, right? Like Like that grain of wheat. Death leads to life. Jesus shows us how true this is. He demonstrated it with His life. And now He calls us to serve Him with our lives. Because it's by His death, those who trust in Him are saved. God calls us to serve Him now, to make Him known, so that others might know this wonderful life that's only available through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. Again, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes, Father, we feel like we can't say thank you enough. But then we come to your word like we do today, and we realize what you, what you ask of us is not our repeated thanks but a life of obedience, a life of faith in Jesus Christ, a life of self-forgetfulness and self-sacrifice for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray for believers today that you would strengthen them and draw them to your word, give them a hunger and thirst that is like nothing they have ever experienced when when they neglect your word. God, draw us to your truth. Help us to see Jesus clearly in the midst of the Word and throughout. And help us to see clearly his sacrifice for our sins, as undeserving as we are. How gracious you are through your Son, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you would help us to live lives filled with gratitude and obedience, following Jesus Christ, with our eyes fixed on the Son, that we might glorify him and make him known as we serve others for God's glory. God, help us to see the needs of others. Help us to pay attention to the needs of others so that we might bless them as you've blessed us. And, oh, God, you have blessed us so richly. Help us to not be so selfish. Help us to think of the needs of others. And, God, I pray, give us opportunities to tell them about Christ, to make you known. And Father, I pray for unbelievers today, please open their hearts, draw them to yourself, convict them of their need to repent of sin and believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, for forgiveness of sins today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.